Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to the Armour Report. Little technical difficulties at the beginning. Thank you for waiting. Um, I'm your host, Brett Rosenthal. As you all know, this is a show about stock market investing. I call it quantumental investing, a combination of quantitative execution, algorithms, computers, combined with a fundamental foundation. It's the information edge I share with you every day. Today's Saturday. This is the week in review seems like every weekend we have a lot to unpack in this particular stock market crash of 2020. So here's what we're going to do. I want to go over some philosophy of trading to start the day, okay? Because you can get ripped from pillar to post in a market like this. And if you're not thinking clearly, it could become very discouraging. So I'm going to share with you um, – Four of the rules, well, five of the rules that I've written for Armour Investing Rules of the Road. Now, Armour stands for Algorithmic Risk Management Research. So I've taken all the years I've been doing this, it's over 30, almost 35 years now, and I'm, I'm beginning to build this list. I'm going to hand it down, the tablets, as it were, to my children, but they're three and six. So for right now, I'm going to share it with you. For Armour Insiders, you can find the complete list on the Armour website, armrreport.com. If you subscribe, you can log in, you'll see Armour Investing Rules of the Road. There's a complete list. I want to go over five of them this morning, and then we're going to talk about the precious metals market. We're going to go over the gold situation. I spoke to you all about um, force majeure and um, the inability to deliver on physical. So I'm going to unpack that for you and try to explain exactly what's going on and what we're looking for Monday and next week and and into the future. So um, as always, I'm sharing information I use my own portfolio, information I use to manage capital for individuals through our interactive brokers affiliation. And it's information that I provide uh, through the Armour Report you know, dot com, armrreport.com. So um, I'm not telling you guys what to do. I don't know you. I couldn't possibly say go run out and buy gold, for instance. I don't know what your portfolio looks like. So please remember all of these videos I do are simply to share with you the information I'm using in my own account and then make your own decisions, think for yourself. And if you want more granularity, then you could become an Armour Insider and you could talk to me one-on-one and we can explore how to build portfolios together. All right, so let's jump into it. Look, um, guys, I'm going to get to Q&A at the end of the show, so feel free to ask questions, put them up there on the message board so I can see them, and I'll start going through them at the end of this. Um, But for right now, I want to just try to cut through a couple of thoughts as we get started. If you enjoy this, give me a thumbs up. It always helps me on you know, YouTube. And certainly you guys can subscribe to this channel right down here. I also gave you a subscription link for the Armour Report if you so choose. All right. Um, am I going to talk pot stocks today? Christopher, um, we can. We'll get to it in the Q&A. I got a couple thoughts for you on that, and we'll get to it in the Q&A. Okay. First of all, I want to just share with you, how do I get started in a stock market that's like this, where you've got huge volatility, we're going through crashes and reversals and rips higher. What do I do every morning? Okay, I've got literally a mantra. I walk in every morning and I sit down. And for me, this is rule number 10, my list of rules. 
and I say this to myself every day, and I suggest you try it. I think it will improve your, um, your experience. I come in every day, and I say, I have no memory of the day before. I don't allow successes or failures from yesterday to determine what stocks I'm buying today or I'm selling today. I begin each day looking the top of the Arbor whiteboard to see what stocks require my attention. I don't care if I sold them yesterday. If today they, they, they require my attention for an investment or a trade, I'm in. And then I just execute that plan ruthlessly. Okay, I don't get thrown off throughout the day. That's what I strive to do every day. Does it work every day? No, it's a mantra. It's something I talk to myself about every day. Forget about yesterday. And this is more important than ever in the market crash. Okay, so that's step one when you come in. Just think about that. Get your mind right before you put any money to work. Step two is please, and this is rule number 13 on the list, please don't relive a loss. If the market gaps down 3% at the open and you've got a big loss on a position that you carried overnight, it's already there. Don't relive it all day. The question is, what's going to happen next? What's the next decision to make? Are you going to be down 4% or are you going to be down only 1% if you make the right choices by the close? You see what I'm saying? And I think a lot of times guys get caught like a deer in the headlights. Oh, my God, I'm down X percent at the open. And they just keep reliving it all day long. And it stops you from making the right choice. Don't do that. Okay? Number 25, number 27 on my list. This addresses people who are asking me, when do we know if the market rally off the bottom is a change in trend or just another um, blip on the radar of a bear market. And I suggest to you, this goes back decades from technical analysis standpoints. And every time I do research on it, as I write algos, it continuously works. I don't know why it works, but it works. Write this down. Remember it. It works in your day trading. It works in your swing trading. It works for multi, you know, multi long-term investing. You need three up days in a row to suggest a trend change. Two up days in a row means nothing. You can get two-day rallies all day long in a bear market. And they're usually huge. And they get everybody to start thinking about, I got to get in, I got to get in. And then day three, flatline or reversal. And it means nothing's changed. But if you get three days in a row, Now a trend may be changing and we have to pay more attention, okay? And particularly if it's extensive, extension, extension, extension. So those of you who know candlestick charting, those of you who don't, look it up. Candlestick charting, it's a Japanese technique. It's my favorite chart pattern to look at. I mean, not pattern, but chart bars to look at. Um, and and it, you, you can find in... Any good uh, candlestick charting analysis book, it will explain what these three bars mean, whether it's a top and three bars down or a selling, selling, selling and three bars up. It's very effective. You can also use 3% in many cases. Now, in this case right now, you can't because we, we rip higher and lower 3% in like a 15-minute period right now. So it's not working the 3%. But the three-day is a winner. Okay, so um, all right. So my last philosophy that I want you to think about as we build our whiteboard list. This is the fifth thing that I wanted to share with you today off of my armor investing rules of the road. So first we start with a mantra every morning to get your head right. Okay, then we don't relive losses. Right now, the losses can be huge. Swings can be enormous. You have to stay in the game. Don't relive it. Okay. Then look for that three-day reversal. Two days doesn't cut it. And the fifth thing, when I'm building my 
whiteboard list, right? So Armor Insiders know we've got the Armor whiteboard. And then I've got the top of the whiteboard. So you can see what names are on my radar that I want to own if there's a reason. So let's, you know, go over the reasons again. We get an Armor Risk monitor going from red, where it is now, to green. It's been red since February 24th. We all know this. That was the first day of the market crash. It hasn't changed, okay? When it goes green, we're going to put money to work. We then look at our whiteboard, what's at the top of the board, and that's where we start going, okay? We're looking for Fed stabilization. The Fed's been buying bonds. Bonds sold off from the highs of the initial jerk higher last week, and it's why the equity market sold off. So we need bonds. They don't have to go up a lot. They just have to stop going down. We, we just need to see a consolidation pattern proving that the Fed is on top of its game supporting the market. The third thing, of course, will be a treatment. We're looking for a treatment of some kind that change, changes the COVID narrative. Okay? And when all that happens, we go to our whiteboard. So what's on the top of the whiteboard? I've explained to you disruptive growth is on top of my whiteboard. In a market like this, where prices are imploding, okay, and let's be honest, companies can't make money. They're not, they're not working. Right? Nobody's working. So all of a sudden, um, and th this is always true for me. It's, it's rule number 30 on my list. Okay, I don't ever care about PEs. Don't ever talk to me about PE ratios. Don't ever put something up on this message board telling me you want to buy a stock because the PE looks good. Okay, that is just such. Um, let me bring down my um, my emotions here. People teach that over and over and over again. And it's such the wrong way to look at how to value a company and buy a stock. Now, if you want to argue with me, you, you could probably get on away with an argument. If you're talking about um, looking at General Mills versus Kellogg, um, companies that have been around for a long time that have nothing to do with disruptive growth, that are just basic companies, and you look at one versus the other, and you look at a PE, one's lower than the other, maybe you buy that one. Okay, go ahead. All right? What a snoozer. I mean, if I came to work every day doing that kind of analysis, I'd fall asleep at my desk, okay? So what matters to me, rule number 30, is IP, not PE. I want intellectual property that creates a moat around a business because the valuations on that asset will go to, to, to prices that will absolutely blow the doors off of PE people, Okay? I was buying shares back in 2001 of a company called Illumina at $3 a share. They didn't have any earnings yet. PE ratio, you know, isn't like, what's that? Zero. I mean, they have no earnings. Okay. But it just so happened it was a disruptive growth company. They were the first to bring to market a product to allow researchers to take the human genome and target genes to create drugs for it. Stock went from $3.50 to $370 in the next decade. Okay? And the PE was always high. It was always prohibitive. How about a little company called Amazon? Probably didn't want to pay $100 a share for it. They didn't have any earnings. What a terrible company. Right? The stock only goes from 100 to $1,900 a share now, right? He's never been right, okay? So on my whiteboard are names that have intellectual property with a moat around it. And prices can go to ridiculous levels, and that's how you... And let me tell you one more thing about PEs. You buy a low PE, it doesn't make you safe from a market crash. So what's the point? You're not safe just because you buy a low PE. The money you lose is just as red as the guy next to you who's losing money in a growth stock. How about Warren Buffett? I heard this, this past week was dumping his airline stocks. He got crushed in those names. Was it safer to buy airline stocks than buying a disruptive growth company in the cloud? At the end of the day, no. So what I want to do, and this is no disrespect to Warren, please don't 
just don't get into that. The guy's been brilliant for, you know, decades. But I'm just saying, I'd rather, from an opportunity cost of money, put money to work in something where I can get a move from $3 to $370, right? From $100 to $1,900 on Amazon. I'm looking for those names. And particularly after a market crash. So those are my thoughts for you. Let's jump into gold and silver, and then we're going to get to questions and answers, and I'll hit some, some cannabis questions, okay? Um, the last couple of videos I've been talking about, now we've been owning gold and silver. Let me, let me just see if this is, what's going on here? I'm having a, this is the wrong time for a computer issue, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I wanted to show you a chart, but for some reason it's not coming up. So bear with me. If it comes up, I'll show it to you, okay? We've owned precious metals for a while now. Gold and silver went through an eight-year bear market. But let's go back a little bit further. Why do we focus? Those of you who don't know, I co-managed a precious metals hedge fund from 2006 to 2012. Okay. For all of the capital that we manage, we were successful in 2008. We made money for all of our investors in our own personal account, 2008. And the primary reason is we focused on precious metals. And in 2009, 10, and 11, you had a big run in the metals. Okay. Then I'm not going to get into the reasons you went through an eight year bear market. Okay. But I bring this up because we're in the same type of environment now. Financial instability, massive amounts of quantitative easing, the likes of which we haven't seen, bigger than anything we saw in 2008, and 2009, 10, 11, bigger than all of that, okay? Um, these are the fundamental reasons why we're long precious metals again. Now, gold and silver started this new bull run Last year, we were there last year, okay? And one of the primary reasons that that started the run is for the eight-year bear market, uh, the market, uh, gold bulls were always fighting against the bullion banks. I think there's seven large bullion banks, JP Morgan being one of them. They were always short gold. They could create as much gold paper as they want and put on the market, right? And they used GDX and GDXJ in a clear algo trade, crush things all the way down. They have lots of fun doing it. All right, that all changed for two reasons in the last couple of years. Number one, um, the London Metal Exchange is where gold has settled, physical gold, for generations, okay? China opened the Shanghai Metal Exchange so that you were going to – and it's not a futures exchange. It's just pure settling spot prices. So it's a lot harder – for the guys in London to manipulate price because now you're starting to see a different price show up. And obviously if it's that different, you get arbitrage. Okay. So that was number one, but the real important reason that the switch has been flipped from bear to bull on the precious metals is that gold was um, added to the list of tier one assets that banks can hold on their balance sheet and get credit for, okay? So banks went through this whole stress test thing after 2008, and they have to keep a certain amount of capital in reserves. What do they hold? They don't just hold cash in reserves. They're allowed to buy tier one assets. And up until a year or so ago, tier one assets meant um, government bonds, like U.S. Treasury bonds, okay? I guess in Europe, you know, European bonds, treasury, you know, treasury bonds. Um, gold was elevated to a tier one asset. So all of these banks can now collect gold, put it in a vault and hold it in reserves. So we've had a financial crisis. One of the best ways to shore up the banking community is have the price of gold go up now because it makes the tier one asset that they're holding have a higher value. So you're no longer fighting central banks. That's the big picture story why we're in the metals now and why we're, you know, 
buying metal stocks, right? The mining companies, okay? Now let's fast forward to what's happening right now. There is a um, physical supply uh, um, for delivery in the spot market shortage. They can't get it. This has been going on for a couple weeks, and it's not the only uh, asset that's having trouble. So let me tell you something. I came here on Saturday to tell you that a force majeure is going to be declared on the 15th of April. You heard it here first. How did I know that? Well, I'm not actually talking about the gold market. I'm talking about the NBA, National Basketball Association, okay? And I point this out just to show you that force majeures aren't some type of strange esoteric thing. They're in all kinds of contracts. So just take a look at this picture. All right, I put it up there for you. Okay. So there's, you can read it right there, the CBA agreement, force majeure, force majeure clause. If the NBA doesn't start up by April 15th, there's going to be a force majeure, and they're going to have to rewrite that contract. Okay? So I just share that with you. just thought it was interesting for you to see. Okay? There's force majeures in all kinds of businesses. So what's happening now is, first of all, you need to understand, even before COVID-19 and the crisis, there was a shortage of deliverable gold in the spot market. Okay? That's a fact. So now you have the natural occurrences of problems from COVID-19. Um, Swiss refineries are down, so they can't refine gold bars and coins or whatnot. The mining companies are closing up mining operations, so they can't deliver on contracts. So it's totally natural for a force majeure to happen at some point in the precious metals market. What does it mean? It means they declare it, all futures contracts are null and void, no delivery, and they settle for cash at that price. Then, of course, they reopen prices at much higher levels. Okay? So the guy who owns the contract gets screwed. He's going to get cash at a certain price. The guy who owns physical or mining companies is going to see a real fun explosion in the price of physical gold. Okay? Um, I don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen Monday. You heard me say last week. Okay, here's the reason why it could happen Monday. I'm going to go through my notes with you. There's two different exchanges that have, you know, futures market. You know, the, the CME, okay, Commodities Exchange located in Chicago for gold, and then in London, the LBMA, okay? The CME trades in 100-ounce lot contracts, the LBMA 400-ounce contracts. The CME cannot deliver on contracts, and it's been in that situation for two weeks now. Okay, in order to, um, I guess, prevent a force majeure, which would dramatically reprice assets higher, um, the LBMA, which is a competing exchange, so it's interesting they're colluding together, and I do use that word, colluding, um, they're breaking up their 400-ounce contracts to try to help deliver on the CME contracts, and it starts on Monday. That's going to be interesting how that works. It's just a, it's just, it's a Band-Aid, you know, on a, you know, on a gash. I mean, they're trying to figure out another paper way to supply the paper market. Okay, we don't think it's going to work over time. We think it's just a delay tactic. There are rumors out of Europe that there is a bullion bank that's on the wrong side of this trade. They're short in a dramatic way, and they're in trouble. And so I wouldn't put it past them, the bullion banks, to get together, find a way to help. I don't know. I mean, they're, all, they're, they're sharks, so I don't know if they're going to help each other or not. I know J.P. Morgan is now long precious metals, right, where they used to always be short. So they're on the right side of the trade. So who knows what's going to happen there. Um, there was massive buying this past week in the spot deliverable index market, and it settles Monday. Massive buying that settles Monday, they're supposed to get delivered on. When I say massive, I mean more, more than we've ever seen. It's a huge numbers. So they should get delivered on Monday. If they don't get delivered, what happens? 
I don't know. I don't know, guys. I mean, maybe they accept paper. Maybe they expect, accept contracts. I don't know. I'm just sharing with you things that are happening moment by moment. If you wanted to know why gold had a $150 run early, I guess it was early last week, Monday or last week or whatever, Friday and Monday, it's because of this problem. It's like a slow moving train wreck for the shorts. They're trying to come up with things to stop the train wreck. And each time it doesn't work, prices rocket higher and then they try to do some things. So um, for eight years, it was a mistake to bet against bullion banks. They always come up with something to keep the price down. Could it happen again? Sure. It could happen again. Um, but it doesn't seem to be that way because we're seeing massive spot buying. Okay. Um, on Friday, Swiss banks, there was, they, they deliver on physical. Okay. So institutions like bullion banks go to the Swiss banks and there's like a physical delivery. The best way to explain it. It was massively oversubscribed. And it had to be rationed out to buyers. In other words, they didn't have the physical to deliver in the amount of the subscription from institutions that wanted the physical asset. So they had to ration it out to everybody who was asking. And they put a premium of $500 per kilo, which is unprecedented. They always, there's always a little premium. This was enormous. It's expected to go to 1000 next week. I'm just sharing this with you because you could see you could see the thunder rumbling. You know, there's a market that's not working. Okay. Um, and my last thought here is, in case you're wondering, yes, silver will be part of this. Silver is not part of it right now. Gold is having the issue. But when you get that breakout and we go into a concerted bull market run in gold, Silver will catch up in a hurry. And that's why we always have a piece of silver in the portfolio. Okay. I know people like to talk about silver ratios to gold and it's at like unprecedented levels right now. Gold, gold and silver usually trade at a certain level. I don't know. Was it like 30 times or something? And right now it's like 90 something times. It's ridiculous. The spread. So people will say they're, so silver should just catch up even if gold goes sideways, which it probably should at some point. But you know, those, those types of information pieces like spreads and whatnot, they could be wrong for a couple years before they snap back. It's not a timing tool. All right, guys. So those are my thoughts for today. It, I just wanted to make sure you're un, you understand why we're focused on the metals, um, what's happening in the metal market. It doesn't mean it has to happen on Monday. I don't know if it's going to be force majeure Monday. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I mean, nobody does. The underlying reason to own metals is that we had trillion dollars in a spending package from government announced, and they're already working on another $4 trillion package. And we have the Fed buying assets with an open checkbook. So it's not hard to see why we want to buy gold and silver. It's hard to hold them when they're, <laughs> when they're volatile and ripping around. That's certainly hard. But at the end of the day, um, Those are my thoughts. We'll see what happens on, on Monday. Um, I guess I wanted to wrap up with this thought. I was going to show you a chart. Apparently, my charting software is not working, which is just a real disappointment at the moment. I'm trying to fix it, but I can't seem to do that right now. I wanted to just show you... Um, you know what? I'll skip it. I'll cover it on another day. Um, maybe I'll do an Armor Insider only video about a particular stock we traded this week. And it just really, I wanted to share with you why it's so important not to care whether or not you, lose the, you lost capital, lost money on a stock. If it's right the next day, you buy it again. Those of you who have been in our Slack trading room, and chatting during the week with us, you know what stock I'm talking about. We were out one day, back in first thing in the morning the next day, and ended up making a profit by the end of the week. You, you cannot have an ego in the investing business. It's not about being right. It's about making money. 
It's about protecting capital. That's what this is about. It's not about, oh, can I say, oh, I was right about that. I'm wrong more than I'm right. I'll just tell you that right now. All right, let's go to the questions. Um, let's see. All right, let's, let's start with Chris. Okay, Christopher, you're asking me about the, um, um, the, the cannabis stocks. All right, a cannabis update. Let's go over it. Um, Ontario decided to cancel the essential tag that was on uh, 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 Canadian cannabis uh, stores. So now Canadian cannabis stores are closed, okay? Um, that you can't say that's a positive, right? Probably a negative. Um, but it doesn't really change my investing picture there. I'm not buying these stocks right now until I see the stock market turn. They are on the top of my whiteboard. The number one name I'll share with you, which you all know, you could probably all repeat it right now. Just can't be both. I want the guy with the cash that can make it through this disastrous period. A lot of other guys are going to go bankrupt. And the guy with the cash will be the last one standing, and there'll be a, just a meteoric rise in the stock when this is over. I also like the management team of Canopy, okay? So online delivery sales, and they'll, they'll keep doing that. Some of the smaller guys won't be able to move product. And it just, you know, makes it difficult to focus on cannabis. The cannabis business in the U.S., I love it. Does it mean the stocks are going up? No, no. Stocks trade, first of all, in the Canadian Stock Exchange, most of them, right? So totally illiquid market. And if the market takes another leg down and implodes again, you'll have a hard time finding bids that make any sense. So I can't come on the show and recommend buying U.S. MSOs that trade in Canada, right? I do have my eye on a couple of U.S. companies. We've talked about it before, you know, innovative properties, IIPR. Um, you know, I guess that's the only one I really have my eye on, but I, I don't own that either. So um, that's where we stand on cannabis. I think coming out of this, it's going to be a huge investment opportunity, but we're still in this. So nothing to do there. All right. What's your opinion, uh, Tech Monkey? What's your opinion on W, Wayfair? I'm not sure I have an opinion on Wayfair, my friend. Um, let me see something. See if I can get this thing to work, and then we can uh, take a look at something together. Well, this is a real disappointment right now. Hmm. All right. Let's get back to it. Um, Wayfair, I don't really have an opinion on that. Is there a positive movement so far in the risk monitor? Are there? Okay, great question for, uh, from Nick. Are there any positive movements so far in the risk monitor? There's no positive movements. Um, we do have our Armor index-only portfolio. All it does is trade the magnificent seven indexes, the top four being the NASDAQ, the S&P, the Dow and the small cap index, and the second three being um, momentum, value, and the IBD 50. Those seven indexes make up risk management decisions. So we have algorithms written for those seven. And what we need to get the risk monitor to change is for at least two of the top four indexes giving us a risk on window, followed by you know, some of the secondary indexes. And then really the, the real signal we're looking for that will go from red to green, let's say, which is grab with two hands, is when all seven indexes give us a risk on entry point in a 48-hour window. The probability of success, putting money to work, when we get that signal, it's right up here. That's when I'll hit it. Now, last week, we had a risk on opportunities in the NASDAQ, the Momentum Index, and the IBD 50. They all went up from where we bought them. By the way, that index trades. It's an algo, so it just trades. If we get the index buy signals, we put the money to work. So we got three in a row. We put the money to work. We never got confirmation on the other four, so it doesn't change the risk monitor at all. The asset went up. We raised our stop to break even. The asset cratered below. We ended up make, actually losing money on those trades. Our stop was at break even, but we gapped down that morning below our stop. We ended up getting out, taking a small loss, going back to cash. So that index, that 
that portfolio index, that armor index only, that was the portfolio that went to 100% cash on the 24th. So it's going to try trades on the way down. That was the first, I think that was the first shot we got. So we put a little bit of money to work, didn't work, back to cash. And we put half of our capital to work that we normally put to work. So if you think of 100% as your portfolio and you have seven stocks, you're going to put something like 14.28% in each index. And in this case, we only put 7% in each index because really we, we, could, we could see there was not going to be any confirmation. Okay. So long-winded answer to your question, nothing has changed there. But this brings up a, a thought of, that I, I do want to share with you guys. Um, it's very possible, those of you who are waiting for the risk monitor to go positive, it's possible we're not going to get that shot okay, until after the market is up a lot. It's possible. The market could rip higher, consolidate at higher levels, then we'll get a risk on entry point. It's true. That could happen. So for aggressive accounts who want to be early, who want to buy near the bottom, who don't mind trying to catch a falling knife, which is usually a bad idea. Um, and to be truth be told, I do this my own personal account. Okay. I'm out there periodically trying trades. Okay. I take day trades. If, and, and I'm, there's so much money to be made day trading right now. Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. On Monday, I'm going to do an Armor Education Series video for you. It'll be a live stream Monday, 4.30. I want to go over with you the number one reason on an intraday trade of why I book my profits. Okay? This is literally the most important selling advice I can give you if you're a day trading uh, individual. So if you buy your asset for whatever reasons, whatever your trigger is, and you're making money, I'm going to tell you the number one sell signal I use in my day trading that literally turned me from a mediocre day trader into a, a very successful day trader. Okay. I'm going to, I'll share that with you on Monday. Um, so getting back to your question, I think is your question. Can we get involved now? Am I right? Is that your question? You know, certainly when the market's down enough, we have so much alpha, right? I mean, all of our portfolios are in huge cash positions and gold, and gold's been going up. And we own Gilead, and Gilead's been going up, right? So we're making money as the market craters. When do we decide to put more money to work? There is going to be a point where the market's down enough, and I start feeding on small positions when I think it's right into the indexes, the big indexes. It's, it's possible. Probably the Qs is where I'll start. Maybe the S&P. But I'm not even doing that yet. Okay? So this is the retest of the low from March that we're going through. I want to see how it behaves, and I might put some capital out. I know you're an Armour Insider, Nick. So when you're in the Slack room and we're chatting, if I'm doing that, I'll let you know. All, all the Armour Insiders that are in that room will know if I'm starting to lay on positions that I'm going to hold overnight. Okay? Um, um, Stephen Kreisberg asking me about the risk monitor. Will it be read till further notice? It, it, it may be. I, I really, I really don't know. I mean, I could tell you for right now, it's definitely read, and 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 it's not even in a position that would go positive right now. So that that kind of answers the question. I hope. Brett, I didn't ask many questions. Oh, great. Steven, you're making some money day trading. Good for you. Good for you. A little bit every day. And look, I'm not, I'm not successful every day. Nobody is. You know, Friday was like, let me share this thought about day trading. The days that I make money are the days where I don't come in with a particular opinion about direction. I just trade what I see. I just read and react. Those are the days that I bank out. Friday, I came in with a direction, a directional thought. And so while I made money short the small cap index, I kept giving it away on the NASDAQ because I kept thinking the NASDAQ.
NASDAQ at a certain location was the right spot to buy for a move higher. And it just never materialized. Okay. So at the end of the day, I ended up booking a small profit, playing the two against each other. But, you know, there's frustrations in day trading. So don't let it get you down. Just keep, keep, you know, grinding away, you know, keep grinding away. For those of you in the Slack room, you guys know, if you were following what I was doing Friday, uh, I was waiting for the cues to rally in the end of the day. They weren't rallying. I raised my stop. I got stopped out. And 15 minutes later, the asset went right to the price I was looking for, which was the Armor VWAP, right at the close in the last 15 minutes. I couldn't believe it, you know, but some days are like that. Some days are like that. All right. Tech Monkey. Oh, no, wait. Let me see. Um, Tanzing. All right. Hi, okay. um, what are your thoughts for REITs? 50% off for most tickets. For REITs. The only problem with REITs right now, um, it's very hard. You've got to do a lot of homework to figure out what REIT to buy, if any, because a lot of REITs are suspending or cutting the dividend. So you're not getting paid. That's the whole point of a REIT. Apartment REITs. I mean, I saw a couple over the, uh, this past week suspending dividend payments for, you know, for three months. So the, the the market's a mess right now and trying to figure out what you're going to get paid. You cannot look at dividend yields and say, oh, oh, let's buy it because this is a yield of 15%. That seems great. That 15% probably means that it's not going to be paid. Okay? When, when this all blows over, I have to be honest with you, for a dividend-paying guy who wants to pick up dividends, i got to have utilities at the top of my leaderboard. They've been destroyed because people think – the market thinks no one's going to pay their utility bill. I mean, and there might be a period of a couple of months where they forgive utility payments, but then it'll all come back and the yields will be real. You know, the REITs, I don't know. I take them on a case by case basis. And of course, um, IIPR is my favorite REIT. And that's a cannabis REIT. Tech Monkey, what are your thoughts on Space for the long term. I'm not buying space, man. I mean, you could put that on the top of your disruptive growth list, I, I guess. Um, um, I, I don't really know enough about it to talk about it. I don't want to discourage you. If it's your gig, go for it, you know. Um, I didn't think Tesla made any sense, and that stock went to the moon. So I totally missed that one, you know. It happens. I'm focusing on my list. Um, I'm focusing on disruptive growth stocks that are in the cloud, that, that, um, that have a moat around their business, um, that have high margins. I wonder what the margins are in the space business. Probably not that great. I like high margin businesses. I like predictable revenue, software as a service where I can see what's the, the growth in the business. Names like Microsoft, Adobe, those are the big names. But now take that model and go find the newer companies that have their own niche. Okay? Take a look at the, the Armour whiteboard. You're going to see a couple of those names. It's populated with that. I'm looking at them right now. It's, it's populated with names that are like that. Okay? Um, do you think silver will rally together with gold? Yeah, silver has been undervalued. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's um, there's industrial uses of, of silver. Um, let me just tell you that silver mines are closing all around the world right now. Peru and Mexico make up, I think, the largest percentage of silver production. They're shutting the mines down. You couldn't ask for a better time to own commodities. When the demand comes back, you can't just bring on the mine and make up. It just doesn't work like that. So prices will go up for a period of time. And of course, silver is wildly undervalued in relation to gold. So at some point, there's a powder keg there that goes off and it closes that gap. You know, I don't make projections on this, on this show. And so take this with a grain of salt because I don't know, right? Projections are dangerous because then when it doesn't happen, you feel stupid, your ego gets in the way, you can't make decisions. So I don't know. But 
If gold can't go above $2,000 an ounce and silver at $50 an ounce doesn't happen, I'll be shocked. Let's just put it that way. I'll be shocked, but I'll keep trading. I won't let it get in my way. It doesn't have to happen. Don't hold me to it. But, you know, late at night when I'm, you know, when I can't sleep and I'm thinking about the metal markets, I'm thinking 2000 plus on gold and $50 plus on silver. We'll see. Um, Stephen, thanks for that shout out. I appreciate it. Glad I can help. First time listener. Oops. Oops. What happened there? First time listener. Any value? FL Boomer. Okay. Any value in junior mining stocks or will it take like 40 to one shot? Okay. I think there's a lot of value in um, uh, um, the junior miners. GDXJ is the easiest way to play it. You get the whole broad spectrum. Um, I don't want to own all the stocks in GDXJ. Okay. So I'm focused on companies. Let me put it this way. If an Armageddon scenario continues to unfold and we're closed for a lot longer and things start happening around the world that are disturbing, um, I want to make sure that the gold assets I'm holding are number one outside of the banking system. This is why we talk about Sprott Physical Gold Trusts. It's audited four times a year. The gold and silver bars are in a vault outside of the banking system. It's real asset. Okay. I don't want gold and silver that's inside the banking system, such as GLD and SLV, because um, when if there really is a problem financially in the world and it lasts for longer than expected, um, it's a lot of unallocated gold that's on the balance sheet, let's say, of J.P. Morgan and whoever's underwriting GLD. And I can't guarantee that those shares will be backed by the metal. Now, in a normal world where COVID, we, we overcome COVID and things go back to normal and gold prices skyrocket, there's nothing wrong with GLD and SLV, okay? Nothing wrong. But for my money, I would just rather own something where the gold and silver bars are in a vault outside the banking system, numbered with a serial number, you know, that's applied to the shares that I own. And it gets audited four times a year. It just makes me comfortable. So let's apply that theory to the mining companies. I want to buy miners. And I know I'm talking to you on YouTube and I'm, and I'm talking to you all over the world. So forgive me if, if what I say... Um, um, I don't think offend is the right word, but I'm only comfortable with U.S. and Canadian assets and Australia. So I want U.S., Canadian, and Australian assets in the stocks that I'm buying. So if you can find small cap gold stocks that have assets in those three jurisdictions, have at it. Okay. I'm just not 100% convinced if things go sideways in the world that, for instance, Mexico won't decide to nationalize silver mines. I don't know. I don't know. Probably not now. Probably I'm thinking crazy. Okay? Maybe I'm crazy. But why bother with the risk? For me, why bother? I'm pretty sure the U.S., Canada, and Australia are not going to nationalize metal mines. And so I'm comfortable going there, and that's where I'm going. <clears throat> okay. All right. So Chris, you're asking me about, um, about um, Buffett and, you know, his sale of, of a little bit of his, um, his airlines uh, and what I think he's thinking. I, I honestly don't know what he's thinking, right? N nobody knows what Warren Buffett's thinking. I haven't the slightest idea what's in his mind. Isn't he in his nineties? I mean, I, I don't not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying um, trying to figure out what's in his head of a, a 90 plus year old billionaire is beyond me. And so I've always thought people talk about how great an investor Buffett is or how great an investor another billion, a billionaire is. And um, I, I just think it's ridiculous. In my personal opinion, we're not billionaires. So trying to follow the advice of a billionaire doesn't really work. Like if he's wrong on airlines – and he loses a billion dollars, he'll make it. It's not going to change his way of life. If we're wrong on airlines, we put a lot of money into it, we're going to have a problem. 
It's fun to be a billionaire. You can wait a decade for your investment to work. And then you get to tell everybody, hey, look how great I am. My investment worked. Okay? But is that realistic for you and me? He can have his assets drop 30% in a given year, and it won't affect his way of life. Can you do that? Can I do that? That doesn't work for me. So I don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what billionaires are doing. You know? I will when I become a billionaire, then I'll, then, I'll, then I'll ask them. Back to pot stocks. What's your opinion? Okay, will a- ACB have a blowout quarter? I, I, don't, I don't know if ACB is my favorite name because I don't have a lot of cash, you know. Um, I thought Afria's management team did a brilliant job of raising a half a billion dollars a couple months ago. And everyone like, looked around like, why'd they do that? Why'd they just raise a half a billion? It's looking pretty good right now. Um, you know, I don't, the last earnings announcement out of, out of, um, ACB was a bit of a disaster. You know, they just sound like they don't know what they're doing. That's all I can say for that. So I'm focused on canopy growth. If I can't make money on canopy, I can't make money anywhere. If you want a small name that I like smaller than canopy, which is what, $13 a share. Um, I, I love organogram under $2, but I'm not sure they have the cash to make it. I like what they're doing. I think what they're doing makes a lot of sense, but I don't know if they have the cash. So I'm avoiding those names right now. Dennis, what do I think of Twitter? You know, I've had a love-hate relationship with Twitter for a long time. I tried to invest in that stock, made some money, gave it back. I don't get why they can't monetize what I think is an unbelievable asset. We're on it all day. Everybody's on it all day, you know? Now, I know right now, um, Twitter, Facebook, those kind of guys who get paid ad revenue, ad revenues imploded because of COVID. So at some point, it'll come back. But right now, you can't figure out what Twitter is going to earn this year at all. And that's why the stock keeps going down. Um, so philosophically, I agree with you. I like Twitter. But realistically, you know, they just keep dropping the ball when it comes to what should be a great business. So um, I don't want to tell you what to do. It's your own idea. I'm just, this is my own opinion. It's not on my whiteboard. Um, you know, Amazon's at the top of my whiteboard. I don't want to pay $1,900 for a stock. But there's an idea that's at the top of my whiteboard because they keep killing it right on through this. You know, they have different streams of revenue, you know, and when the ad spending comes back, I mean, they're just going to kill it. All right. Do you have an opinion on uh, eight? Cloud video company. Oh, yeah, I remember eight. I don't have an opinion right now, but I'll do some work on that. Um, although I would say to you that a lot of guys can go out there, like where's the moat, where's the barrier to entry for zoom or eight by creating cloud video options. I mean, let's be honest, Cisco does it on a massive scale. I can't remember the name of Cisco's company they bought right now, but Oh, go to meeting, right? Cisco owns go to meeting. So, I mean, where's the IP in these businesses? So the stocks are ripped higher because people don't know what else to do with their money and they're having fun on Zoom. And then it'll come back down to earth when other guys can come out and compete. So where's the competition? Okay, I don't have a stock on my whiteboard. I'll give you an example. I have a stock on the whiteboard. Um, all they do, they have a niche. They have a cloud niche. They help drug companies set up and execute FDA trials, phase one, two, and three. That's all they do, and they're killing it in that environment. And, of course, with COVID, look at all the business that's going on of trials, phase one, phase two, phase three, all these different companies. This software cloud company must be killing it. I want to own that stock coming out of this. Okay, because it's intellectual property around a a particular niche with a big moat and high margins. That's what I'm looking for. 
Um, how about Delta? I'm not buying the airlines. I don't, I don't have any interest in, in the airlines. And I would just say, not that you can't make money in it. I mean, have at it, okay? But for me, investing is about opportunity cost of money. I only have X amount of dollars to put to work. Maybe I'm going to buy 10 stocks in a portfolio, 10% each, or 20 stocks, 5% each. I got to find 20 stocks I want to own. And airlines don't make the cut. I'm not talking about a trade. You can pick up a trade and make some money. But coming out of a generational bear market like this, I mean, this is nasty. Coming out of this, if we buy right, we buy the right names and we hold on to them as long as we can, you can have a massive increase in your net worth like we did out of, you know, coming out of 2008. So I want to find the 20 stocks or the 10 or the 15 that can have that type of growth. And so airlines don't cut it for me. All right, what do you think of REITs? Real, okay, we talked about REITs already. Yeah, I'm worried about REITs. Um, ah, just lost my place. Hang on a second. All right. If oil goes down to 10, what happens to the stock market? Uh, it's not going to be pretty, but don't forget, every time oil goes down, it's like tax relief for all the drivers in the United States of America. So when COVID is over, man, you know, cheap oil is going to be great for the economy, even though it's really hard for that sector of the market. Royal Gold. God, I'd love to own Royal Gold. I used to, it used to be my favorite name, Royal Gold, RGLD. Um, they're having an issue on one of their, I think it's one of their, is it a silver mine? I can't remember the mine they're having a major issue with that I think contributes something, don't quote me, please but something close to 20% of their revenue. It, and there's an issue with that mine. And that's why the stock is, is underperforming. Please don't quote me on that. I'm just, just talking off the top of my head. I think, I think it's that big. I think it's 20%. I could be wrong. But one of their key minds is having an issue. And it's not going to be resolved anytime soon in the world we're living in. And they're a royalty company, right? They pick up royalties off of, uh, off of these mines. So, Every day that they're not getting a royalty, that's a problem for them. Whereas if you own Newmont, say, they're valued based on assets in the ground. And so the price goes through the roof. Their assets are still there and they get higher and higher valuation. You know, so, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, Royal Gold is just not my favorite. How about, how about Franco Nevada, FNV, or Barrick, GOLD, or Newmont? Those are probably the top tier big names. I know. Okay. Let's see, one, two, three. <laughs> I know the reason to sell day trade. I learned it from you and use it myself. Um, Oh, hey, Stephen, I really appreciate that. You're going to get your government check and become an insider. I can't wait to see you there, man. I can't wait to see you in the chat room, okay? We're going to have some fun. Um, Ares, ACB, run for the hills. I'm with you on that, man. I'm with you on that. All right, I started... Um, Tytex, so I started buying at companies. Let's see. Okay. Amazon valuation is sky high. You're kidding, right? I mean, is that a bit of a joke? Right? I mean, I don't care about PEs. I don't care about the valuations. That, that's never made me any money. And it stopped millions of people from making fortunes in the stock market. Oh, yeah. WebEx. Thank you. I had that. Okay. Thanks for... Carnival Cruise Lines is the question. Carnival Cruise Lines. Um, I don't like Carnival. I don't like, I, but truth be told, I've never liked the cruise ship business model. Um, I think Jim Cramer said it best. They hang their own flag. They're not part of any country, right? And then they're asking the U.S. for assistance, but they don't pay U.S. taxes. It's just, it's never been a business I like. And it kind of goes along with the airlines.
All right, guys, I think that's all the questions for today. I really appreciate your time with me. It really helps me order my own thinking. I'm going to talk to you guys again, 4.30 Monday, and we're going to talk about this day trading tool that works for me every time. I mean, that's just the greatest um, um, sell signal for me. Okay, so I'll share it with you on Monday. Have a great weekend and be safe out there, guys.